Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. You know, this has been a labor of love for us, and we're now asking for your support. Please join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with courage, curiosity, and creativity. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts probing discussions each month, so visit our upcoming events at womenover70.com and join today. We are very excited to have in the studio with us today, Terry Baum and Carolyn Myers. Terry is 76. She lives in San Francisco. Carolyn is 73. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. <laughs> and lives in Portland, Oregon. They both have been devoting themselves to theater since they were children. And they are best friends and have been doing theater together for 51 years. They met in 1972 at the first meeting of the Ila Vista Community Theater in the little college town where the University of California is located. The Ila Vista Community Theater created much joy, little money, many shows, and really good parties. Terry moved to Berkeley to start Lilith Women's Theater. And in 1976, Carolyn joined her. Lilith toured the Northwest and performed at major theater festivals in Europe. The theater produced both original scripts and plays by feminist playwrights. And Carolyn moved to Ashland, Oregon, where she raised a family and did theater for 30 years. But the two remained close and sporadically continued to their, continued their theatrical collaboration. Each woman would spend extended time in the other woman's city while they worked on a play. And finally, in 2008, they decided to work together full time. Carolyn moved to San Francisco and they became the Crackpot Crones. This <laughs> dynamic duo performed sketch comedy and improvisation with feminist and lesbian themes. The Crackpot Crones toured the West Coast and Mexico and performed in the New York International Theater Festival in 2012. And then 2014, the Crackpot Crones resurrected Lilith Theater to produce Hick, a love story, the romance of Lorena Hickok and Eleanor Roosevelt. Hick was written by Terry and directed by Carolyn. Their next project was One Dykes Theater, an anthology of Terry's plays edited by Carolyn and published in 2019 by Exit Press. Currently, Carolyn lives in Portland, Oregon, but they still continue to collaborate through Zoom and in-person visits. So Terry and Carolyn, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. One of the Thank things, you. you're welcome. One of the things that stands out about both of you is how prolific you are. Your line of credits extends over many pages. So tell us, what is it like to collaborate with the same person for 51 years? Terry, you want to start? Uh, well, um, Carolyn and I, uh, I would say we really have almost the exact same values, which is really important. Mm -hmm. And we make each other laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an enormous amount of joy that was in our friendship from the very beginning, from that, maybe not the first night at the community theater, but the second meeting, yes. It was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. You're the one. 
<laughs> and we're going to do this thing. We're going to do this together. So there have been rough patches, of course. And, uh, but the thing is that uh, as rough as a patch can be, if you get through it, it makes you closer. That's, that's, I feel like we've become closer for sure mm -hmm. over the years. And, you know, with an understanding of, of each other, a deeper understanding of each other. Right. Like I know if she's directing, she has to do the lights the way she wants <laughs> and not the way I want. And I just have to accept that. <laughs> Which sounds hard. <laughs> not always easy. <laughs> it took me about 50 years to accept that. <laughs> and so um you know what how, what caused the two of you to come together uh you know you, you created this crackpot crones what 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 is it that caused you to come together well to come back together you know we 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 were we were living apart but we continued to um appreciate each other's work and work together on projects mm -hmm. and then um you know i was at that point well i'll i'll tell this story when i was very young i worked at the dmv and then I met Terry Baum and I ran away and joined the circus with her. And I knew right away there was nobody else like her. I And I still feel she's the most brilliant um, writer I've ever worked with. Yeah. And her her plays and, and, uh, and then also my comrade. And then years later, years later, when I was 58, I was teaching school full time. And once again, Terry called me up and said, hey, let's take a vacation. Let's go somewhere together. And I was like, yes, anywhere that isn't <laughs> middle school. And so we went to um, we went to New Mexico and we stayed at Casa Feminista and we decided to do a show there. And that was that we did it and people were just in ecstasy and then we did it a second night just because they wanted everyone else in the every other woman in the town to come see it and so that was the beginning of the crackpot crones and we were just like man we've got it because all these years we'd worked together we hadn't performed together very much often um terry was the playwright and i was the director or we were collaborating on creating something but we hadn't acted we hadn't been two actors on stage so it was just so much fun and it was, it was all here yes <laughs> yeah that sounds like fun it's it's fun to collaborate with someone you really have uh you care about right that yeah yeah it really is no question about it what were some of the themes in that performance that women responded to so um, so well? Do you remember? Oh, sure. Terry, you well, want to take one of them was One of them was this uh, little scene, even therapy, that um, we we're hoping that we can do later for you, which is about Eve uh, from the Bible going to therapy because she's tired of feeling guilty. And uh, her therapist is Dr. Lilith. And Lilith was Adam's first wife. Mm -hmm. first wife. Yes. So, that's a popular, um, that, very that popular definitely. scene. 
Can't wait <laughs> and to Terry, hear it. <laughs> Terry started the show. We took scenes. We we created that scene for the Crackpot Crones, but we also took scenes from a lot of the shows we'd done. And we opened with a scene that is from Terry's one woman show, One Fool, where she, as the as the lonely lesbian, is seeking through the audience to find true love. And it's an audience pleaser non-parallel it's really really a great scene because she falls in love with one after another of the women in the audience and then each of them comes up short <laughs> within within a minute they are they are she's deeply in love and then she's discarded them <laughs> so it's also a search for love the fool searches for love a common theme and then another uh scene which we did almost all the time in uh, the Crackpot Crones, which was from our play Dos Lesbos, no. uh, which uh, rewrote in 1981, uh, which was one of the first plays about lesbians from a lesbian point of view that was done, was uh, the coming out transformations where a uh, daughter comes out to her mother in different theatrical styles. <laughs> Starting with Greek tragedy and culminating in horror movie. <laughs> I think I should say right here, I'm not a lesbian. I'm I I'm I'm married to a man for many years. I have children and grandchildren. So Terry and I, I I'm I've been with Terry, and because of that, I've been part of um, the lesbian community for years and years. I I provided a lot of content, even though I'm not a lesbian. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> a learning experience for both of you, probably. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm very interested in the story you wrote called Hick, a Love Story about Eleanor Roosevelt having a lesbian affair. And so is that all uh, fiction? No, it's all fact. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's based on Eleanor Roosevelt's 2,336 letters to Hick uh -oh. that are in the National Archive. Mm -hmm. That's how many letters she wrote over the 30 years, you know, that they were, they, they became, they were not lovers the whole time, but they remained very, very close until Eleanor died. And actually, we have the Ellen, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's uh, estate has read the play and given us permission to use the letters. Anybody can read them, but to use them, you need permission. Mm -hmm. So they agree that this should be in the public eye. And it's, um, I mean, everybody knew that uh, Hick was a lesbian. Uh, everyone described her as mannish, but um, the Letters prove Eleanor's passion for physical passion for Hick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, what else can you tell us about that? Have you performed it many times or are you just coming out with it? Well, Crony, you want to take this one? Oh, no, this this has been performed many times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's um, it's it's our most successful and greatest work. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, of the plays I've worked on with Terry, and P it's um, a very important play. Um, Terry wrote it in 2014, 2015. We've been she's been performing it in a variety of um, uh, 
a variety of venues and also uh, somewhat a variety of scripts and performance types, including um, originally it was a one woman show, but we had an actress, Paula Barish, read Eleanor's letters and they were um, you heard them. And then we've also done it where there was the person playing Eleanor appeared on stage. Um, and most recently, Terry did um, uh, reading for OLOC, older lesbian old lesbians organizing for change mm -hmm. and um that she read it was just a one-woman show very low tech no voiceover she read the letters and i just loved it i thought in some ways it was my favorite version and mm -hmm. it's been performed um she's we've been she's been in new york go on terry you can we're in up. the new york international fringe festival and we actually won a couple of awards there mm -hmm. so um it's been very successful uh partly because of its scandalous nature, perhaps, but uh, it's a really quite an amazing um, story. Hick was the most famous woman journalist of her day. Mm -hmm. And uh, she and Eleanor fell in love when Hick was assigned to cover her the very first time FDR ran for president. Mm -hmm. So she was there from the beginning of that, you know, starting in 1932. And, uh, Sadly, Hick had to give up her career in order to be close to Eleanor because uh, the, she worked for the Associated Press and they kept on bugging her for inside dope on, mm -hmm. you know, the White House and what was going on. And her boss was all over, always yelling at her. And finally, she had to say to hell with you. And then and then she became the chief investigator for the federal relief uh, emergency thing, the one that that set up in the very beginning all the WPA programs and all the grants to people who couldn't work. And she, Hick traveled around the country uh, writing reports on, on them. And that's considered by scholars to be the most detailed and best uh, record of what the depression was actually like. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. It was, so was their relationship well known to the public at, at the time? Well, well known as in the people I, I in performing, I met, I've met two people whose grandmothers knew that Eleanor Roosevelt was a lesbian. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was, and they were not at all in any uh you know private circles but they knew so if you lived in washington and you were at all aware of what was going on yes it, there was rumors the press only mentioned it one or two times and you know gossip columns in a very oblique way it was it was just too too far beyond the pale okay to mm -hmm. talk about there there it, i mean it was known that they lived separate lives, uh, Franklin and uh, Eleanor. That's right. And so, yes, that was, that was, um, and so you could draw your own conclusions from the lives that they lived. And uh, I think it's great that you wrote a play about it and, and it's out there for people to really understand what was happening. It changes. It changed the picture. Yeah, Carolyn was very involved in the writing in terms of 
running everything by her and then also directing envisioning the play that was that was your work and and it was couldn't have happened mm -hmm. well i was sort of the engine at the beginning i was the I, before terry she soon saw but at the very beginning i was the one we uh pat bond who was a very best friend of terry's and was one of the first um, maybe the first out lesbian performer that, to tour um, on her own. She um, she did a she did a version of Hick. Uh, uh, she wrote a play about Hick and Eleanor, and I read that play. I, it was in the archives at, um, and it was it wasn't really a play. It was more like a phone book of a whole bunch of scenes, many scenes. At least I never could find a manuscript, so there would be like one scene and. 12 different versions and so it was a it was a project to read it but i immediately saw it as what terry that terry was the right person this was the right play this had to happen and we did some other things in the meantime but we were moving toward that and and uh she came around and um wrote a play and we, i was right <laughs> carolyn is often the engine really saying We've got to do this. We've got to do this. And the thing that really pushed me over the edge because I was procrastinating was I was uh, I was in South Africa and I was performing and I had a, uh, a solo show with all these uh, different short scenes. And one of them was the original scene that we did from from Hick, you know, which was um, really Pat Bond's writing, I think, at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I met with the class afterwards, and this was like a mixed race class of college students in South Africa. I hadn't even wanted to do the scene because I thought, what do they care? And um, but my uh, traveling partner said, you must do this scene. And so when I met with this class, these young people, all they wanted to talk about was that scene. And that was really what convinced me. I thought if if young black people in South Africa find this compelling, then I've got to go with it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it was also Carolyn pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. I was curious about because you performed in in Europe and you performed all over the United States. You performed in South Africa. Do you? Did you notice any any difference in terms of audience response to the themes of lesbianism and feminism? Well, the first thing we did was in, you know, we toured uh, Europe in, what was that, 1978? Yep. No, yeah, 1979. 79, that's right. It was 79. So maybe you could talk about that a little, Crony, because... You well, were there was... with your six-month-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My daughter Uma was six months old and we took her with us. I just couldn't, I couldn't stand not to go to <laughs> Europe with Lilith. <laughs> so we uh, we um yeah, it was in 1979, and we did two plays. Um, one was Moonlighting, which was um a play we wrote, which was a, a collection of short scenes about women and work which we created by every woman in the company telling her work story and also other things we thought about women and work. And um, 
And then we also did the, a play manifesto by an Italian feminist playwright, Dasha Moraini. And so we had those two shows and it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, it's the still the seventies. Um, we're at big theater festivals and, and, but we also, in those days, you could go play a big theater festival and people would see you and then they would invite you to come to their town or their place and mm -hmm. do the show. It was still in that kind of thing. You, you weren't planning necessarily months and months in advance. Um, you know, it was an incredible experience. And um, the audiences, you know, were we were the right thing at the right time. Lilith had that had that uh, good luck. We were we were in San Francisco once. Terry said we were creating the wave and we were riding the wave. We hit, mm. you know, we were just at the right moment. Um, there wasn't an, we provided the women's viewpoint and we had this sort of self mocking, but not putting ourselves down. Not that kind of humor that some women fall into, but and uh, and visionary humor. And uh, we were funny. And so uh, we were we were a hit. Yeah. Mm. And audiences were ready for it for it everywhere. But Lilith, we did not, it wasn't lesbian material. That came when Terry left Lilith and we wrote Dos Lesbos. That was the first big lesbian play. And um, that was not done with Lilith. Lilith was a, was a collective, a wonderful experience, but you know, in a collective, um, everybody has to agree on things. And so it was a, in some ways it was a relief. It was a relief to be able to create a lesbian play without having to convince the collective at every turn of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were lesbian characters in what we did in, in Europe. And That's that, true. That's true. But um, definitely there was um, in, in uh, introducing them, there was pushback from some of the straight women in the group you know, and uh, it was mostly heterosexual. And it was just very clear that these heterosexual women in, that early on in the you know, 70s were uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we've come a long way, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You, you talked to me about your Mexican tour of the Crackpot Crones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell us about that? Did you, did you do it in English? We still love it. It was so, it was just this incredible experience. There were lots of parts to it. My my daughter, Micah, was living in Oaxaca. She was there for five oh, years. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so she, you know, that was where I knew we could perform there. She had lots and lots of friends, you know, and, and that was wonderful. So I knew we had that. And then we um, and we performed other places, too. But I guess what we would most like to talk about is um, our performance at La Gozadera, um, which was a, a lesbian collective in Mexico City, really mm. underground. I mean, you know, mm. it was uh, it, it was something. Almost everybody was extremely young and um, they had we were booked at the end of a weekend um, that they'd had like, you know, drumming and martial arts and, and lesbian consciousness. And it was like, oh, my gosh, we're like the last thing at 10 o'clock at night on, you know, after they've been doing all these youth things, <laughs> they're not going to come. But 
come to the show they did and we could have stayed we stayed for hours afterwards talking and it was another mm. they they would wanted us to move there <laughs> it was, so it was we were already you know like the like the grandmas now that and that was a while ago <laughs> but no it was a feeling don't you think crony it was a feeling like when we went to um europe in 1979 i felt yeah. that when we were in mexico city in was it 2016 that yeah. these women needed us we were saying things mm -hmm. that nobody had said yet yeah you know? and that's a wonderful wonderful feeling yeah to be be bringing new things and reflecting a community that hasn't seen its reflection anywhere you know Right. Right. We did hire a Mexican. We had two different Mexican actresses that yeah. performed with us and they they did they were sort of narrators. I mean, you know, if we'd had more time and if we ever did it again, I think we would make we would make sure we had a script in Spanish, the whole script, because yeah. they couldn't understand everything. You know, we we did very little in Spanish. Um, but the narrators sort of, you know, they carried it through and told the stories and stuff that we were enacting yeah. <laughs> sounds like the two of you have a, a really good time <laughs> yeah when you're doing this yeah. yeah what do you ever think about your own aging <laughs> yeah all the time yeah. <laughs> every time i get up from a chair <laughs> i know someone said to me the other day she said you know it used to be i get up and do something but getting up was just sort of now I get up and then I do something. <laughs> it's a two-part process. I don't know. I'd say we're still we're still committed, you know, we're still committed feminists. We're still somewhat outrageous. We're still thrill seeking. <laughs> but um those those things remain true. You know, that that I think hasn't changed. Um I don't know, but but we're also dealing with things that, I mean, I, I've had a lot of health issues, so that's been a big change mm -hmm. to me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, that can happen to you when you're not aging, but in my case, it's happened now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it slows me down. Yeah. yeah. I do feel my organizational abilities have diminished. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I tell you what ways. I just forget things or I say I'm going to do something and I never do. I mean, I was, I was, you know, a person who produced plays. You can't be a flake and produce a play. Mm -hmm. I've become a flake. My creativity, I feel, continues to develop. I do feel no lessening at all of my creative abilities. The same thing. I'm getting better and better. But my ability to remember what I'm supposed to do at any particular time <laughs> is um, can be embarrassingly. Uh, uh, I just had experience where I was reading a scene at the Zoom meeting and uh, reading this story, and then suddenly the doorbell rang, and I realized it was my. I had gotten all confused about whether my friend was going to pick me up or I was going to meet her and she was at the door and I couldn't finish reading the thing and I just <laughs> got up and ran to get you know it was 
embarrassing. Aww. However, funny, embarrassing. So that's that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that you have many, many more years of successful playwriting ahead of you and performing. Yeah. Yes. Those, those uh little lapses. You know, for it's people a fact of aging. And for people in theater, I mean, for all of us, of course, the, but for theater, the pandemic has really changed things so utterly. So theaters, they just aren't, it's very, it's much harder to get your work produced. Theaters are scrambling to figure out what to do, mm -hmm. how many shows they can do, what will bring audiences in, you know, so it's, it's, it's tough. So that some of that has to do with aging and that, you know, having we, like we had just published One Dyke's Theater. I just want to promote it a little oh. bit. <laughs> this, is, this is another project for which I was the engine because <laughs> I, I had told Terry many times, and it's true, that one of my greatest fears in life was that she would die before me and I would have to do an anthology of her plays all by myself. Mm. And so luckily... Finally, we did it, and um, this is a great book, and it's got uh, many of her plays in it. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> you, we wanted to end with your doing just a snippet of Crackpot Crones for us so we could get a flavor of it. Do you, do you feel like doing that? Well, sure. Absolutely. All right. Okay, I have to get you. Yes. So this is Eve in therapy. It takes place in the uh, in the office of psychiatrist Dr. Lilith. Now tell me, Eve, why are you here? Well, uh, Dr. Lilith, I, uh, I I have a lot of guilt. What do you feel guilty about? The fall of mankind. It, it's all my fault, you know. I don't. Yes. I don't know that. Oh, yes. You feel personally responsible for this fall of mankind? Everyone says I am. Just because everyone says it does not mean it is true. It isn't just everybody. Oh, well, she's there besides everybody. You know. You know who? Up there. Oh, well, you know who up there can be wrong, too. No. Yes. No. Yes. No, th that's really too much to take in. Let's start at the beginning. Let's take things back. Back to the garden? Oh, it was perfect in the garden. We were so happy. Adam was the perfect man, and I was the perfect woman. And all of out of all of that perfection, what happened? Now it's the garden that everybody wants to get back to. We are stardust. We are golden. We have to get ourselves back to the garden. Tell me about what you did to make you feel so guilty. Oh, you know what I did. Everybody knows what I did. To hear it in your own words. One day, you know who up there came, and he put this big tree right in the middle of the garden, right where I walk by it every day, and 
on that tree there were big round uh, red uh, uh, no don't, don't don't say the word you know who up there forbid me to eat them i have nothing to do with them anymore it's like they don't even exist in my life in the world in the entire universal please don't say the word we'll just call them uh, fruit oh fruit okay right so the tree was there, and the fruit was, well, uh, you know, there. Right where you had to pass them, right wherever you went. How did that make you feel? I thought about them all the time. That's very understandable. And by the tree, there was also a snake. The snake wasn't bad. That's one thing they got wrong. Yes, tell me about that snake, Eve. The snake laughed at my jokes. <laughs> and the snake said that the body and the head were connected. Yes, Eve, that's true. The mind and the body are intertwined. It's all one. And that's what it was about the fruit. You see, because if you took a bite of the fruit, yes. you might feel something. That's right. And that was a sin. Well, at least it was an original sin. <laughs> yes, Dr. Lilith? Don't you think it's a bit of a setup? For you know who to put that tree right smack in the middle of the garden where you have to pass it everywhere you went? I never thought of it that way. I think you know who secretly wanted you to eat that fruit. Oh. And then he tells you you can't have any of it. That's outright cruelty and manipulation. That's what I think. Cruelty and manipulation? You're thinking that about you-know-who? Yes, I am, and I'm getting angry. You're angry at you-know-who? Yes. Oh. First, he puts that fruit tree smack in the middle of the garden. Yeah. And then he tells you you can't have any of the fruit. Mm-hmm. What a schemer. Huh? What a louse. Yeah. What a schmageggy. Schmageggy? I'm mad at you, you know who. Uh-oh. You have made me feel guilty for all these millennia. You have taken no responsibility for all the suffering you have created. Well, that's right. You have taken Eve's name in vain and made it into evil. Go to hell, God. How? Oh, Eve, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess I got a little carried away. Oh, no. Oh, Dr. Lilith, that was, that was so good. Thank you. End of scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> that's not the true end of the scene, but that's oh. the end of the scene for today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much to the two of you for being here with us today. Oh, Thanks. goodness. What a um, great thing you're doing, Gail and Catherine. All the best. Yeah. Thanks for having thank us you. on. Really thank wonderful. You so. Thank you. Thank, yeah. just thank you so true. much for having us. You're it's well. a true pleasure to have both of you. And uh, listeners, thanks to your loyalty, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. This is a good thing.
Still, we need more subscribers. So please click on the subscribe button on your our YouTube channel, Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and wherever you find your podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday at womenover70.com. Thank you.